As we uh, gather today, as we continue, we are um, continuing to uh, work our way through uh, the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and we're going we're gonna to dig into that in a second. But first, I, I want to remind you of a couple things also. Um, one, I want you to, to be praying for um, a lot of our junior high kids. So Shauna and Tim have taken, uh, I don't know, there's like 20 of them. Uh, of these kids that are in junior high, right? Aren't you glad, one, that's not you? Aren't you glad that you didn't have to go somewhere with 18, 19, 5th, 6th, 7th grade kids, whatever it is? But they're there at at a retreat this weekend, and they'll be coming home later today, and they are there, and and they have spent some time worshiping the same way we are, right? Singing praises to the God of heaven and earth, acknowledging Jesus Christ, the one he sent, God in flesh, um, reveling in his sacrificial death and resurrection, and um, just learning to love him more and to grow in that. And so we're so excited that our kids have the opportunity to do that. So I just want to encourage you to be in prayer for them. And then there's one other group that I think sometimes we forget about, Um, And you don't forget about them if they're yours, but you forget about them sometimes if they're not. Uh, And so I just want to remind you and encourage you to keep in prayer for um, all of our kids that are off at college. Uh, You know, we we, every year we get to May and we, we get the opportunity to to kind of pray for and, and, and commission our kids as they graduate from high school and we send them away. And, um, and that's all fine and good, but then they go out in the real world and it's a struggle at times. And so I want to encourage you in your daily prayers to be, to be taking seriously prayers for our kids. One, that they make good choices, right? That's a, a, being 18, 19 years old and away from home for the first time around other people that aren't necessarily making good choices, that can be difficult. We want to pray for them to, uh, to, to make decisions that are rooted in, in faith and, and to be strong in that. But we also want to pray for their mental health. We want to pray that they can, um, that they can continue uh, to just understand who they are in Christ, that they can seek um, guidance where they need, that they can get plugged into a faith community on campus or in the military or wherever it is that they found themselves. So we just want to continue to be in prayer for them. So I'd encourage you to do that, and we just want to give you a reminder. All right. Now, let's get into to Ephesians. Um, today is actually, and, and I mentioned this last week, but this marks a shift in Paul's um, instruction to the church in Ephesus. I'm going to sit down for a minute because um, it's easier for me to stay focused if I sit, but it won't last long. Um, so here's the thing. In the first two chapters of this letter, Paul has been writing to the church in Ephesus about who they were. Um, There you go. Um, And basically, this is the summative statement that Paul starts the letter off with. By the way, if if you have been here for all of it, you heard Pastor David. He opened up the series by by preaching through this text. If you haven't, you could always go online or wherever you listen to podcasts and and listen. Uh, Pastor David did an excellent job of laying this out for us as we get going. But this idea that um, we have these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Here's what Paul says. Blessed be God, 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so in the first two chapters of this letter, um, he has gone into great detail. Paul has gone into great detail to help us understand what blessings we have, right? I mean, he, he goes to the lengths of saying, look, you were literally dead in your trespasses. You, because of the sin nature, like everybody else that's ever lived, you were dead in your sin. But because of Jesus Christ, and when you submitted to him and surrendered to him, now you have life, right? You've been raised to life. And it wasn't because you did anything great. It was all a gift of God that you have been brought near. You've been made new. And in being made new, you've been given all of these spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. And he, he spent two chapters unpacking that for us. And then here in chapter three, he transitions and he's going to spend the rest of the letter talking about not just knowing that we have these spiritual blessings, but the need to actually access these spiritual blessings. It's one thing to know that God has done this for us. It's another thing to take a hold of it and live like it's true. And so this is, this is the problem uh, and the tragedy of most people's Christianity, is that we never actually figure out how to live in these blessings. More often than not, people that we know that are Christians or we ourselves, we tend to be stuck. And Pastor David, we, we were talking about this at, at the staff meeting where apparently I run it as the master of staff meeting, even though this was his thing that he taught us at staff meeting. Um, but, but here, here's one of the things that we talked about is, and he's doing a study where this came up and he shared it and it was appropriate for this, is that most of us spend our Christianity on a continuum like this one that you see on the screen, where we either are living life as defeated Christians, coping Christians, or fighting Christians. And as far as we understand and believe, this is what there is to Christianity, all right, well, let's break this apart. Some of us find ourselves on this end of the continuum, and on this end of the continuum, this is where defeated Christians live. Now, I use the word Christian loosely here because I'm not sure that these people that, that are living life as defeated Christians, I'm not sure they have a reason to be confident in their salvation. Because these are people that will say, yes, I believe in God. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but will have life everlasting. They believe it. They just quit trying to live like it. So if you ask them, they would tell you, of course I believe in God. Of course I believe in Jesus. But they've long ago, they've quit trying to live the Christian life. It's not that they're trying and struggling. They just quit. They decided it wasn't worth it. They're defeated. And then as we move along the continuum here, we get to these coping Christians. These are Christians. These, these are people who, who say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that God wants me to live a Christian life. And so they try. 
They try to keep their head above water. Sometimes it works. Sometimes they fail. In fact, what happens when we're coping Christians is oftentimes we spend a lot more time on the ground because we keep falling down than we do standing up. But we're trying real hard in all of our power to keep our head above water. The reality of people that are coping Christians is really they're just one thing away from giving up because it's hard and they're exhausted. And then we get to this end of the continuum and we see what looks like maturity. And we see somebody that's a fighting Christian and we say, now there is somebody that's living the Christian life the right way. The problem is they're not, but they look like they are. Right? These are people that have decided, I know what God wants from me, and so I'm going to make it happen. And in their own strength, they make it happen the best that they can. So they, they wake up in the morning, and even though when they read the Word of God, when they read the Bible, it doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't quicken their spirit. It doesn't um, move them in their soul. It doesn't do anything. It's just a check mark in a box. They do it because they know they're supposed to, and they're fighting to do it right. And they know when they pray that it's supposed to be this intimate relationship with the God of the universe. But when they pray, they get nothing, right? It's just checking the box. But they know they're supposed to, so they do it anyway. And they know they're not supposed to be drunk, so they don't let themselves get drunk. Even though it's a struggle, they fight against it. They put on their best uh, willpower and they move forward. And they know they're not supposed to act out in lust. And they know they're not supposed to do these things. And so they don't let themselves. Right? Every day they try really hard to do the right things. And they fight. And the fight is good. Right? The problem is it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when you fight that way because it's exhausting. And it never feels like it really connects. We do it because we're supposed to. And so from the outside, it looks right. But in here, I don't feel full. I don't feel joy. I don't feel refreshed. I feel burned out. I feel tired because I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do and it's not working. But that's what we think Christianity is. This is the grand tragedy of, of our brand of Christianity, right? Some people give up and they're defeated and they don't even try anymore. Some people are working so hard at it, but they can barely keep their head above water. And then we assume maturity is when we fight really hard in our own strength to just make it work. The problem is none of those are what God is asking for. None of those are what Paul is talking about. When he says you have these riches in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus, they're there. He's not talking about coping. He's not talking about fighting. He's talking about this other thing that most of us don't experience. This fullness, this thriving kind of Christianity. This is the kind of Christianity that we pretend to have sometimes, but that we don't really. This is the kind that is excited to get up in the morning and open your Bible every single day to read, right? Sometimes we get up every single day and we do it, 
But this is the kind that's excited about it. This is the kind that when you sit down to say grace at dinner time, everybody else in your family is looking at you weird because all the food is getting cold. Because you just can't stop praying. This is the kind that is so excited about their faith, right? And you know these people and they annoy you. I mean, if we're honest, you know a couple of these people and they drive you nuts. You're like, man, you're kind of a Jesus freak. Would you calm down? But the reality is that's where we're supposed to be. And that's what Paul is telling the church. And it's what he's telling us. He's like, look, I've told you for two chapters now, like all the beginning part of my letter is telling you about these riches that you have in Christ in the heavenly places. But now, right, through this prayer and moving forward, he's saying, look, but it's not just knowing about it. I want you to live in it. I want you to be this full, thriving kind of Christian because I don't want you to quit. And I don't want you just to cope. Right? And I don't want you to have to fight all the time because that's exhausting and, and it doesn't work. It's not attractive. There's no joy. And it won't last. See, the fighting Christian is always fine when things are even. But man, as soon as the cancer diagnosis happens, we lose it. As soon as our kids do something stupid, right? As soon as they're in trouble, we're like, well, what good is it, Right? As soon as tragedy happens, what good is God if, it, it, you know, why am I fighting? Why am I doing all this if it's all just going to fall apart anyway? But you know those people. You know those people whose earthly life is wrought with hurt and heartache. And yet they have so much joy. They're so excited about their faith. And even in the midst of hard things, right, even, even between between chemo sessions uh, or, or, or in the face of their terminal diagnosis or the relationships that are imploding in their life, they still can't help but tell you about this God of the universe that loves them and that they love back. Those are people that are full and thriving. And so the question is, how do we get there? And this is what Paul is talking about. If you're exhausted living the Christian life, then part of what you need to do is step into what Paul has for you right? Uh, It's actually what God has for you that Paul's sharing with you. And that's the point of this prayer that we're dealing with today. As we get into this prayer today, this is Paul kind of saying to the church, hey, it's time for you to get a hold of this truth. Not just know about it, but do something with it. So, Open up your Bibles if you've got them. We're in Ephesians 3. We're going to start in verse 14. We'll end at the end of the chapter in verse 21. Okay? And like any good prayer, this one has three parts, right? There's, there's the, uh, uh, the beginning. Guess what comes next? The middle, right? And then he's going to wrap it up appropriately with an ending, right? And, and so, of course, this, we, we get this beginning of the prayer, this, this in, introduction, this idea. This is the, okay, who am I praying to, right? When you pray, how do you start it? Hey God, dear Heavenly Father, Holy Omnipotent One. I mean, whatever you do, right? However you do, you have a way you start your prayers. God in heaven, uh, whatever it is, this is what Paul does. He, 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 he's introducing the prayer. Then we get to the part where we ask, the supplication, the asking, okay? And he's got four things that he's going to ask for. We'll, we'll see how those fit together. And then you get to this ending. For us, our ending is usually um, amen, 
right? His ending is going to take two verses. We'll see how that. You guys thought I talked a lot when I didn't need to. He's going to take two verses to say amen, right? But, but it works, I promise. So here's how he starts. For this reason, right, which is all the blessings we have in heaven, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now let's just, let's start there. I, I, I want to linger on this a little bit because this has great value. First of all, he, he says, I'm praying to the Father. When you pray, you are actually communicating with God. Now here's the thing, right? The, the coping Christian, the fighting Christian, they know this, but they don't feel it. But the reality is when you pray, you are actually doing something supernatural, right? Um, now, now, Pastor David has talked to us about this before. You can actually pray to any of the members of the Trinity, right? Sometimes it's appropriate to be praying to the third person of the Trinity, to be asking the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit for something. Sometimes it's appropriate to pray to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to say, Jesus, I, I need you, or Jesus, this is, this is my prayer to you or my thanksgiving to you. But almost always in Scripture— And almost always for our prayers, they are directed at God the Father. But here's the thing. It's not just us praying to God. This is actually a triune event, right? Because why do we get to pray to God? We get to pray to God the Father because Jesus Christ is our mediator, right? Because Jesus Christ has done what he said he would do, right? Because he died on the cross, because he raised from the dead, because in him I am made new. I get to go before God to pray, not on my own merit, but on his, on Jesus. He is my mediator. So I am praying to the Father through Jesus, And I'm not doing it in my own power, right? It's not like I can physically walk into the throne room of God. I am praying through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit in the throne room of God, right? When you pray, you aren't sitting at the table. When we pray... When Pastor Davis leads us in prayer for First Baptist Church or, or, or for um, the Operation Christmas Child events or, or for the things that are going on, we're not sitting at Blessed Hope Community Church in the sanctuary. That's physically where you are, but spiritually something else is happening. And we know it, but are we sure we really believe it and understand it? But here's what's happening. You are spiritually, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you are finding yourself spiritually in the throne room of God, talking to him. Listen, this is not normal. Part of the problem with fighting Christians and coping Christians is that we assume this is just what we do because it's normal. We're supposed to pray. It's normal. So we just do it. But it's not normal. It's something otherworldly. It's not ho-hum. When, when, when I sit down at my dinner table and we're like, hey, God, thanks for the food and friends and family. Amen. You know, rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God. That was, when I was growing up, that was our thing. Um, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, who eats the fastest gets the most. Right? I mean, it's being awfully flippant with what's happening. And what's really happening when I go to prayer is I am, through the Holy Spirit, entering the throne room of God, and I'm allowed to be there because my mediator, Jesus Christ, has ushered me in, and I get to talk to the Father. This is not normal. 
It's not regular. It's not ho-hum. It's a big deal. And so Paul starts by saying, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The other thing here is Paul literally gets on his knees. Now listen, I don't care how you pray. We see all kinds of things in Scripture about different prayer posture. Abraham stood as he prayed to God for the people in Sodom. Solomon stood as he prayed um, to God for the dedication of the temple. David sat with the Lord as he prayed about the future of his kingdom. Jesus falls face first in the garden of Gethsemane as he prays to God, laying prostrate on the ground. I don't care how you pray. Your posture doesn't matter. Some people think there's a right way. You stand, you walk, you sit. I don't care how you do it. Except this. In your heart, there must be an attitude of submission, of surrender. Paul says, I get on my knees. And and I have a feeling that part of the reason Paul got on his knees is because it helps him remember that he needs to have an attitude of submission a posture of surrender, right? Whatever you do when you pray, you do it not because it's normal, not because it's regular, not because it's time to check it off your list. You do it because I am surrendering to the God of the universe, the Father in heaven, and I get to talk to him because Jesus Christ died and bled for me and is now my mediator, and my prayers are enabled to be there by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. Listen, this is not normal. And that's why we linger there a little bit so you don't get confused. But he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Nobody exists that doesn't have their rooting in God. We are all made in the image of God, period. All right. Then he's going to get to the supplication. So he spends those first two verses um, just reminding the church of this significance of prayer, right? And and then he's going to get to the supplication and he's going to ask for four things. And they're not four individual things, but they're four things that will fit together, right? Uh, And and I want to be clear about this. To start with, they all have to do with in here. The inner man, the inner woman, the inner being, Right? And it's important that we understand that as Paul is asking for things for the church, he's starting by asking for things that are in here. Listen to me. There is not a problem when you pray for physical or material things. It's not bad when you pray for jobs. It's not bad when you pray for cancer. It's not bad. Well, don't pray for cancer. Pray against cancer. It's not like you're on cancer's side. Okay? But when you pray for people with cancer, see, you understood what I was talking about. But there's always a dialogue up here in my head that I can't control. And the dialogue in my head said, well, that's stupid. Why would you pray for cancer? So then I had to say it out loud. Anyway, wasting time. But there's nothing wrong with praying for these things. Pray for them. Pray for the financial resources that are necessary. Pray for the relationship blessings that are necessary. Pray for the health. Pray for physical healing. Pray for all of those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen to me. If that is the substance of your prayers, then you are missing out. 
right? If that's the substance of your prayers, then you have missed this great spiritual endeavor that Paul wants you to have. You don't access the grand resources of all these glorious riches in Christ that are seated in the heavenlies by praying that that you'll get a new job or that you'll physically be healed. We pray for those things and we're glad to pray for those things and, and we pray for each other in those ways. But Paul's specifically praying for things that have to do with your inner being. Your inner being. And the spiritual blessings that'll happen there. And he wants, first of all, you to have spiritual strength in your inner being. Right? And he, he's praying that you'll have that spiritual strength in your inner being so that you can have a deeper experience with Christ. And that you'll have a deeper experience with Christ so that you will be able to apprehend how much God really loves you. And in all of that, that you will be led to live a full, thriving Christian life. Basically, Paul's prayer is this. You know the truth. Now, through the power of God, I want to show you how to live in the truth and to claim it. So, here's what he says. He says, I'm praying um, that, that God will, in your inner being, do these things, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. There's a couple things to unpack there. One is he's saying, I am praying basically to the Holy Spirit now. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would be powerful in you. Why? To strengthen your inner being. There's a couple things to figure out there. As, as he's praying for the Holy Spirit, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is confusing to a lot of us. When I say Holy Spirit, some of you understand what I mean uh, well. Some of you are confused, and especially in our context, we get a little confused because Holy Spirit tends to be, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we tend to start thinking in terms of uh, the charismatic, right? The laying on of hands, the speaking in tongues, the, the doing these things, the prophesying in the name of God, the... Um, the, the spiritual gifts that, that are there. And, and you know what? We've talked about those before and we can dig into those again more, but, but that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit being powerful in your life. And that's not what Paul's talking about either. The Paul, uh, what Paul's saying is, I want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in your life, not so that you can go and express these things, right? But he's saying, I want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in your life right? So that you can be strengthened in your inner being, right? It's not about expression. I know some of you, you read through the book of Acts and you're like, man, God does some cool stuff. There was a blind person and now they see, and I want to be able to make a blind person see, and that person can't walk. And then all of a sudden we pray for them because of the Holy Spirit and they can walk. And this person, you know, Jesus, there was water and he prayed over it and then it became wine. Now some of you really want that one, Right? But, but here's the thing. It's not, it's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I, I want you to be strengthened in your inner being. And there's a reason for that. Right? He's saying your inner being so that Christ will dwell more deeply in you. And we'll get to that in a second. But he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would be powerful. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. 
if you are a believer, you already have the Holy Spirit. Now here at this church, we are not big believers in a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right uh, Now, that language doesn't bother us. It doesn't scare us. If you want to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, go ahead and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter. What we would say, though, is that once you are saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But that, it's not enough. You need more of the Holy Spirit to live the full life. Think about it this way. When you are born again, when you surrender to Jesus and when you fall on your knees and you say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. I give my life to you. The Bible tells us that that is what we call born again. You are born again. That is a work of the Holy Spirit because you physically can't do that. But spiritually, the Holy Spirit does it for you. Right? You can't physically be born again. In fact, Nicodemus gets a little confused when Jesus says you have to be born again. Nicodemus literally says to Jesus in John 3, uh, time out. How am I supposed to be born again? I can't crawl back in my mother's womb and do it a second time. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Why are you so confused? You have to spiritually be born again. Holy Spirit does that. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit makes you new and seals you. We read that in scripture, that if you are a Christian, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are made alive. It's that sealing that legally moves you in God's eyes from dead to alive. From sinner to holy. That's what happens. And that sealing, that sealing, I'm convinced is permanent. When it's real, right? That God has made you new and sealed you with the Holy Spirit, that that is the reality, right? You are new in Christ, but it's not enough. You need more of the Holy Spirit to experience this thriving full life. Think of it like this. This is an example we use in our discipleship class. Some of you are in that class right now. Some of you um, will sign up for it in the future, I hope. But in our discipleship class, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, this is what we say that if you think of your life as a house, when you become a Christian, you sign the deed of your house over to God, right? And so now the house belongs to him. But that's not the end. Slowly, I need him to start to renovate the house, to fix it up, to make it livable, right? And the more power I give the Holy Spirit, the more of the Holy Spirit I have, the more he's going to fix and renovate my life. Here's where we have a disconnect between full Christians and fighting and coping Christians. Fighting and coping Christians say, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I've got the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. And then in their own power, they fight. Full or thriving Christians understand Paul's prayer here and they say, Yes, I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit, but now I've got to get more and more and more and more of Him. I've got to turn my life over to Him. Instead of just cutting the weeds down to the ground, knowing they'll grow back up again, I've got, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I've got to pull those things out of my life. And that only happens when I have more. You need more of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's prayer. It, it, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. 
more and more of the Spirit in your inner being. And I love that he gives me that according to his riches, not out of his riches. Because one is miserly and the other is rich. Think about it this way. If I had a billion dollars and I gave you 10 bucks, I've given you out of my riches. It hasn't been a big deal. But if I have a billion dollars and I give you a million, I'm giving you out of my riches, according to my riches, something more, right? Proportionally. And God has all of this power. God is omnipotent. God has everything. And based on that, he is giving you, according to his riches, this power, if you'll just ask. That's his prayer. He says, God, I want you to give them this power. According to your riches, I want you to give them this power to strengthen them in their spirit and the inner being. Why? Why do they need the spirit? Well, so that Christ will dwell in their hearts through faith and that they will be rooted and grounded in love. Right? This is the whole purpose of, of, of him wanting the Holy Spirit to be more powerfully in you. It's because he wants your life to look different. Right? The, the deeper the Holy Spirit gets in you, the more of the Holy Spirit you have, the more you surrender your life to the Holy Spirit. Not trying to clean it up on your own, but saying, okay, God, show me and help me change. Renovate, right? Renovate my life. The more that happens, the more Christ will dwell deeply in you. As a Christian, Jesus is in you right? But when he dwells deeply in you, it's, it's like he's making himself at home. Do you understand the difference? Like when, 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 when God visits Abraham, he sits in his tent and he shares a meal with him, right? He sits down, he makes himself at home. Some of you some of you are living a life that is not inviting Jesus to come and sit with you. And you know it as well as I do. That there's things that you're doing or there's part of you that, that things that you, you won't surrender and you won't let the Holy Spirit help you pull these roots up and, and you just try to cut them down and you won't deal with them. Um, and, and it's not creating this space for God to just come and sit with you, for Jesus to just come and sit. But, but Paul says, I want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in your life, right? For you to have more and more of the Holy Spirit so that you can renovate your life so that Christ will come and dwell deeply in your heart. Deeply. And that you'll be rooted and grounded in love. Right? It's, it's this idea that it's not just a cursory relationship, but that your relationship with Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, is getting deeper and deeper and deeper than it ever was. Listen, remember the day you became a Christian. If that's you, if you've, if you've surrendered to Jesus, then think back on that day. Is your relationship with Jesus deeper? Or are you still, and I'm not saying, are you reading the Bible more? Are you praying more, right? That's the, that, that's the fighting Christian who says, well, I read more, I pray more. So no, 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 I'm saying, do you feel more connected to Jesus than you ever have? Because, because that's what Paul's talking about. Not just what are you doing? What do you feel? Like, is he deep in you? Or are you just doing the same stuff you always did? 
right? Because the more of your life that you let the Holy Spirit renovate, then the more Jesus will dwell deeply in your life and you'll be rooted and grounded in faith. Why does that matter? Well, because Paul keeps going. He says it matters because that's when you can start to apprehend how much God loves you. He says, then you'll have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, that's how this works. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you high and deep and wide and long. It's impossible for you to understand how much Jesus loves you. He loves you, right? This love of Christ is real, but most of us don't really feel it. We're fighting and we're trying and we're checking things off our list, but we don't feel it. Paul says, I want you to feel it. How do you feel it? Well, you start by renovating your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, pulling up weeds, getting that stuff out of there. And, and, and then when that happens, Christ will dwell deeply in your heart and you will be more connected to him than you've ever been connected before. Then this love that he has for you, you'll feel it. And you'll start to know it, not just intellectually, but you'll know it. Um, There's a problem with one of the words in there. That word comprehend. And it's a translation issue. See, in Greek, our word for apprehend and comprehend are one word. It's one word. They mean the same thing. In English, we have two words, and they chose to comprehend, and that makes sense to me, right? But the problem with comprehend is that comprehend has this idea of I intellectually know something, right? I could know a lot of things about cars, right? Theoretically, I know how engines work. Theoretically, I get internal combustion, right? I get how it all works, But if you asked me to fix a car, bro, we got problems. I ain't doing it. I can't do it. I will make it worse. Because that's what my dad taught me. My dad taught me that you do it and you yell at it and you swear at it a little bit because things get so frustrating and you hurt yourself. And then you call grandpa. And grandpa will do it. That's about what I know about cars. I remember one time, uh, actually, it was, it was, it was Quali, uh, winter, and picking up kids from youth group or whatever, and Lacey's car wouldn't start. And uh, she was talking to Eric on the phone, and I was helping. I mean, I know how to jump a car, but that's it. But I remember Eric saying, like, really? Hans is helping you? Um, I don't know. I guess I owe him five bucks. But I, I, I remember that. But, but that's what happens right with me. I, I can know it, but I don't apprehend it, right? But, but what Paul's saying here is this is deeper than comprehension because every single Christian knows that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible told me so, right? We know it. We all know. We comprehend how much Jesus loves us. We all know this verse, right? He loves us. The the height and depth and width and length of how much Jesus loves us, we get it. But we don't get it. Everybody knows, but so few of us apprehend it, right? Comprehension is the intellectual, I get it. Apprehension is the, I am grasping a hold of it so that it's mine, 
And I don't just know it, but I know it. Right? Think of the difference, right? If we have law enforcement, right, they can comprehend that a criminal is over there. And that's all fine and good. But I don't just want comprehension. I want them to go and apprehend the criminal and get him. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, too many fighting Christians and coping Christians, here's the thing, they comprehend that Jesus loves them, but they don't apprehend it. And Paul wants you to apprehend it because it's life-changing when you don't just know it, but you can feel it and you can believe it and you can do it. And how does that work? Well, it starts with the Holy Spirit being powerful in me. Right? That's the first thing. Spirit, be powerful in them. Renovate their lives. Take hold. Why? So that Christ can dwell deeply in your life. And when you and Christ are dwelling deeply together, when he's sitting with you and you're together, then you will start to not just know, but understand how much he loves you. And all of that leads to being filled with the fullness of God. And this is what we're striving for. This is how we move from fighting Christian or coping Christian that's working hard, but we're exhausted and we're burned out and it's not doing anything for us to filled and thriving Christian where we understand that, you know what? This isn't about going through the motions, but this is about a God that loves us. And now when I, when I want to read my Bible in the morning, I'm not just doing it because I have to and I'm fighting to do it and checking it off my list, but I'm doing it because I know these words are breathed out by a God that loves me so much and I can't wait to breathe them in. And when I go to prayer, right, I'm not just checking it off my list saying, okay, I'm praying. But no, 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 no. I'm understanding that I'm going into the throne room of God through the blood of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that I can sit with him. This God that loves me like this. And it starts to change things from being coping or or fighting and tired to being full. Which... If you ask me, I think that's one of the number one issues that we have, right? We'll get back to that here. Let's, let's wrap this up. Paul ends with simply saying this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Simply saying this, Paul's saying now, not just are we saying amen We've been praying to God. Here's the prayer. Amen. He's saying, I'm praying to a God that can pull this off. Because if you're like me, you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, great. I need more of the Holy Spirit, right? So that Christ will dwell deeper in me. And then finally, I'll be able to feel this love of God and I won't have to just go through the motions, but it'll feel better. Then I can live this Christian life. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it, right? But that's just more of the fighting, But Paul says, no, 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 listen, I'm not asking you to do this. He says, I'm praying to a God that will do this. Because I have a God, and we're praying to a God that is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will do far more than you could ask. Exceedingly, abundantly more through the power that's at work in you. The power that's at work in you is the Holy Spirit. It's how he started the prayer. It's how he started the asking was, God, give them more of your spirit. And so here's all you have to do to get this started. 
right? You don't have to, in your own strength, fight through this. Here's all you have to do to get this started. You have to ask God for more of the Holy Spirit. Ask him for more. God, I want... I want to know you. I want to know your love through the power of the Spirit. Ask for more. And I promise you that when you ask and you don't stop asking and you keep asking, the Holy Spirit will show you what it means to have more of God. But when the Holy Spirit shows you, it takes on a whole new thing than when Matt tells you. Right? When the Holy Spirit shows you what it means to have more of God, right? Then all of a sudden, there is a desire to turn over my life. Nobody has ever turned their life over because Matt said so. I don't have that kind of power. But when the Holy Spirit tells you, and God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more. And as I asked Pastor David to come up, we'll, we'll end with this last thought. Oh, Philip, it went away. None of those are right. Um, but, but we'll end with this thought that the great paradox of Christianity, right, is that we have to live in this tension. We have to live in the tension of knowing that we've already been made full in Christ. But that fullness only happens in us as we apprehend it by faith. It's a lot of fancy words to just say this. The way that you apprehend it by faith starts with this, Holy Spirit. Fill me and help me. And then from there, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more. Now, at this point in time, Pastor David is going to come up and fix whatever I left unsaid. Um, This is the best part of this scenario is I get to be done. He gets to come up and make it all make sense to you. So good luck with that. And so I get to listen to this two times. You guys miss out. Um, there's a lot of, so I I just want to say, as I was thinking about this and, and kind of next steps as you guys leave and pastor Matt already said it, ask for more, but I think we as Christians also need to start uh, getting open and honest. And I'm just going to say this. I have spent most of my Christianity either as a defeated coping or fighting Christian, and I'm just tired, right? God has shown me in the last six months how much of a baby Christian I still am. I got a lot up here, right? A lot up here. But he shows that a lot. So it's really funny that Matt preached on this because yesterday while I was in the car, this is one of the conclusions that I came to. I don't spend a lot of time asking God for that supernatural power, right? I say things like, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm tired. So here's what I want to do before we leave. Just, I want you to take 15 seconds where you're at. If you are, if you, he said all that, if you're like, man, coping, fighting, yeah, I can relate. Let's start now then. Let's ask. Start asking. And keep asking until God gives it to you. And if you're sitting here going, well, I don't know if I have it or not. I'm going to, I'm going to answer for you. You don't. Because when you know the love of Christ, you're not going to ask, do Do I? You're going to know. So I'm not saying that mean. I'm just saying that's the answer. No. Start asking. And keep asking until he gives it. And then when he gives it, ask for more. And keep asking until he gives it. So let's just take, as we close, just 15 seconds where you're at. If this is something you desire, ask for it.
Father, as we leave this place today, um, fill us with the knowledge that this is not a one and done. We can't walk out of here and say, Lord, I asked for it and you just didn't give it. I truly believe you want to see how desperately we want it. Lord, I pray that we leave with desperation. I am so broken and so messy. Lord, man, to hear of that fuller and thriving Christian life, I pray that that just ignites in us a passion to ask for it and keep asking and asking and never being satisfied, always wanting more of what you have. So just fill us with that, Lord. I pray blessing upon us. May you keep us and may you bless us and may you be gracious to us and pour out your peace upon your church as we leave this place. Amen. Go in peace.